Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I am your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to our sponsors. First to Lori Bedke and Creighton University. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. Thank you also to Vave Health for sponsoring this episode. Vave believes that personal ultrasound is the future of medicine with an aim to empower both clinicians and patients. From an affordable wireless device to the industry's first all-inclusive upgrade plan to built-in support with Vave Assist, their mission is to move the needle on ultrasound use in every clinical setting. Don't forget to check out their website for details on their free virtual ultrasound educational events, also known as hashtag VaveEducasts. The next one is scheduled for Thursday, February 25th at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Go to www.vavehealth.com backslash live for more details or find a link in the show notes. And remember, that's vavehealth.com. My guest in this episode is a great friend of Explore the Space podcast. Christina Farr is back. This is her fifth time on the show. She has been coming on Explore the Space since we launched in 2015. The arc of her career has been great. We've had touchstones all along the way as she's moved from KQED to Fast Company to CNBC, where she established herself as the finest, for my money, health tech reporter in the game. Over the past few months, she's made another interesting career move, and she has pivoted to becoming a health tech investor at Omer's Ventures. And she joins us to talk about why she made this move, what the world of venture capital and health tech looks like right now, the importance of collaboration and empathy in her new role, and why she's honing in on behavioral health. And something that I found really striking, what she is seeing and experiencing around physicians seeking to exit the practice of medicine during the COVID-19 pandemic. She wrote an article that was released yesterday on her website, Second Opinions, on what are the qualities and characteristics of a physician who successfully crosses over and what are those things that companies are looking for. I thought it was fantastic and very interesting. There are links to that article in the show notes as well. Definitely check it out. Before we get to the conversation with Christina, we just want to remind everyone, please check out Explore the Space on Apple Podcasts or wherever you'd like to download your shows. Please do leave us that rating and review. It really helps us out. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can hit me on Twitter anytime, at ETS Show. And you can find the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. It was great to have Christina back. It had been a little while, but episode five with Christina Farr is up. You can also find a link to all of her previous appearances going all the way back to August of 2015 on Explore the Space podcast. That's in the show notes as well. Definitely check them out. They really are evergreen and they're really interesting kind of milestones in this development of health tech. But without further ado, Christina Farr. Chrissy, welcome back to Explore the Space. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. This is old hat. 
you're, you're, this is your fifth go around. You're my longest running guest and my most frequent guest. So for that, thank you. Oh my gosh. I love coming on. Thank you so much for having me again. It's such a treat. This will be fun. So we have followed the arc of your career on this show. I started Explore the Space now almost six years ago. And as you have moved through the world of digital health reporting and moving into TV and various media platforms and now a huge career transition, we've kind of marked each of those steps. What do you feel like the trajectory of your career is right now? Because it seems pretty exciting. Yeah, it's been it's been a crazy ride. Um, I've been, you know, I was in journalism for a long time, about a decade. And it was all I ever really wanted to do from when I was a, a kid. So it was such a treat to, you know, really get to do that dream job for so long. And I I also had a dream beat, which was getting to cover with the sort of latest and greatest and sometimes not so great technology that was moving into the medical world. And that area has just accelerated so much. I mean, digital health was still really in its infancy um, when I when I started out covering the space. And now it's been 10 years and a lot of a lot of folks have learned a lot and I think been humbled by it, you know, just how complex medicine is. But now you know, I, I decided I wanted to do something more on more on the venture side and work more closely with companies because I think things are about to get really exciting. We no longer have kind of novices in this area. We've got a bunch of folks who've been doing it for a long time. And I think I think medicine is about to go through a, a really fundamental transformation. I was shocked when I saw that you had moved because of the things that you just said. You were in an incredibly interesting space, right? The digital health space was incredible. It was changing. It's it's dynamic and kinetic. You were really good at it. And one of the reasons that I think you were really good at it and one of the things that set you apart is you called out nonsense when you saw it. And I always appreciated that about you. And we've talked about that before. I mean, you and I have had disagreements on the podcast about what's happening and what are we seeing. But I felt like you had a really keen eye for bullshit and calling it out appropriately. And I always really enjoyed and respected that about your approach to, to digital health journalism. And I was shocked when you moved. I like this idea, though, of you moving because now that there's this sort of expertise that's there and a, and a, a maturation process, do you feel like you can bring what you've learned and gathered and be sort of rocket fuel for what you just described as a as a, a sea change in medicine? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, thank you for saying that. I always appreciate it when when people say that I've been able to call bullshit. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I think in this new role, you have to be discerning in a lot of the same ways. And, you know, you're being pitched in, in many of the same ways. And you likewise have to kind of rely on, on your network to kind of see through to, to what's real um, and, and what isn't. So I, I kind of bring those same sensibilities into venture. But also, you know, I'm 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 excited to have more of a point of view now because when I was, you know, more doing journalism, I spent a lot of time reporting news and I didn't get to give as much context or analysis around what I what I really thought was important um, about this information as I was sharing it. And so now I plan to kind of shift much more to opinion and to, you know, thinking through the, the, the meaning of things. And that's what I've been trying to do with, with some of the content I've started kind of now that I'm in my, my VC role. And also I could get a little bit more grokky and a bit more niche. Like I'm not writing for a general audience anymore. I'm just writing for kind 
kind of you guys um, who are already in medicine and deeply steeped in it. And so I, I want to be kind of tailoring much more of, of what I'm doing, you know, specifically for you. Before we unlock that specifically, I do think it would be good for us to get that broader understanding. I feel like the venture capital, VC, there there's such common terms now. I feel like there's the sense of if I don't fully understand what that means, I'm a little bit afraid to ask. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not be afraid to ask. And I'm just going to share with you, hey, can you explain a little bit more about what does it mean when we talk about venture capital, that you have moved into venture capital, you now work for this venture capital firm. Let's just be transparent. Help me to better understand this so I don't have to pretend. Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking. Well, uh, in this new role, I will be, you know, working to fund companies. So, you know, we're looking at startup and seeing what is out there in health tech. And if we develop a strong kind of thesis around uh, a company or a space, uh, we would like to write a team a check and be with them over a period of years. Um, it could take, honestly, a long time, you know, a decade or more in health tech. So it's kind of like a, a marriage in a way and help them just grow this business. Um, so I have, you know, a number of areas that I'm interested in that I'm exploring in, in, in my new role at, at Omer's. And, um, you know, really just it's early days. So I'm still just taking a lot of conversations and, and trying to understand kind of where are the investable opportunities, but also how do we kind of find investable opportunities in, in places where we can really make a difference in healthcare and, and make it better and not worse. And that's very much my my intention as I as I move into this space. But yeah, that's that's kind of it. It's just finding great teams and giving them money. It's nice to hear it distilled down like that. That is actually really helpful. That is that central dogma that when we now look at you and we see your your social media bylines and things like that, just to have that shared understanding, that's really helpful. So thanks for laying it out like that. You've always, for me, had a very discerning eye. I feel like you pick something and you you hone in on it. You kind of grab it and get after it a little bit. And I, and I like that because there's that risk, I think, and there's a perception that people that are in the tech industry looking at medicine, this is probably my own personal bias. Sometimes they feel like dilettantes. Sometimes they feel like they're just mm -hmm. kind of trying a little bit of everything and using the right buzzwords, but there isn't a lot of meat on the bone. You are for sure an exception to that. So in that space, what are the things that leap out at you as you're doing your research, as you're taking those meetings and leveraging relationships, where are you drilling down? What feels right to you to start out? Yeah. Well, actually, funnily enough, I just I wrote an opinion column on this exact topic. So it's very top of mind for me looking at, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the tech, the tech folks that are moving into medicine with a very high level understanding and kind of a bunch of buzzwords. So I, I actually have come around, I, I, for years, I was really sort of skeptical of this and, um, you know, sort of covered a lot of it in my, in my journalism, just how often these kinds of, of teams would fail because they came in with all this hubris. And now, you know, I've really actually kind of forced myself to rethink this a little bit. How helpful is that uh, as a as a sort of narrative? How helpful um, is what? Sorry. The idea, you know, this idea that when tech folks move in, that they are, you know, sort of oftentimes just brash and arrogant and, ah, and not yes. very well versed in the intricacies of medicine. Got it. Um, and now I'm starting to come around to this idea that 
you know, I want to be a lot more welcoming to these newcomers than maybe I, I have been in the past, um, at least in my in my writing, because the system that we have is just <laughs> so broken in so many ways. And that's not to say that we should, you know, be be joyous of, you know, a, a, an Elizabeth Holmes type coming in and, and trying to do, you know, real harm. Of course, I would I would never want that. But I also I think that there's a need now for more of this fresh perspective. And I just I would love to kind of see what would happen if we started to think about marrying clinical expertise and technology expertise in new ways and then went deeper than that and said, you know, these cultures are often like oil and water. But what are the best practices to get folks from both sides to really mix? And who has the right DNA on the clinical side and who has the right DNA on the tech side to really be able to kind of work collaboratively? So I'm really passionate and excited about that is just what what can happen when you bring these folks together. I think that it's a bold place to start because you're right. That is a, that is an oil and water in a lot of ways. And I think on the one side, you have the people who want to come in and be a part of medicine and changing medicine. And on the other side, you have those who are in medicine who right now are pretty beat up. And on the best day, like the last time you came on the show, this is what we talked about, right? This, the perception of we want to come and disrupt medicine. And those of us who are in it are just kind of like F off. You don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. We just got disrupted, right? COVID disrupted everything. We had to, when I say we, right, the royal we, this is all of us. We all had to really pivot. We had to be very, very agile. We've demonstrated now the facility and the ability and the wherewithal to do it. I might suggest that that idea of we're going to come in and disrupt again would not be well met. And I, and I know that you know that. Yeah. I also know that an infusion of creativity and thought is, is, is absolutely necessary because COVID has done many things. And one of them has shined a really hot light on huge problems within the fundamentals of medicine, the infrastructure of medicine, the structural inequities in medicine in the United States. These are all opportunities for improvement. Do you feel like your space and what you have to bring, how much impact can it have and can it be done in that way that feels that feels right, respectful, uh, collaborative as opposed to disruptive? Yeah, yeah. And I totally, you know, this idea of of disruption or just the term disruption, I, I, I'm very, you know, hesitant about it. I don't like it when folks in tech use it because I, I don't, I think it's a little scary. Like I, as a patient, I certainly wouldn't want my, my medical care disrupted. I would, yeah. you know, if you said improved, that would be one thing, but, um, you know, so I think this, this, we need to get away from some of this, this tech terminology. And I agree with that hundred percent. And then I think you, you know, you also kind of asked a question about, about how do we make these collaborations work. And I, I think that it's a lot harder than meets the eye. I, I talk to founders all the time who are starting out in digital health and you know the first person that they bring on is typically a clinician these days because they've sort of learned from years of of you know not having these folks on the team and just how that doesn't it just is a non-starter. So they'll often bring on someone to kind of be a, a co-founder, chief medical officer type. And sometimes it just is a total disaster and sets the company back months because you know in 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 your clinical training you guys are, you know, it's like a decade of just training. And then you come out and you're kind of finally, you're the boss now. And there's a hierarchy in medicine. And there's often, you know, what I, from what I hear from docs, there's often a, a culture of kind of risk aversion. 
decision because there's blame there. Like if something goes wrong, you're ultimately responsible um, at the end of the day. And so it can be very hard to, you know, move from that t- that type of thinking to more of sort of, you know, what's required in on the product side of a of a technology company where you're sort of stripping something back and saying, what is the best possible user experience that I can create? And then, you know, maybe and maybe it's with the most minimal steps possible and least friction. You're so damn so good you- at this. I love when you come on the show. That's just <laughs> that's so great. That's just perfect. I think you in a lot of ways nailed that. And here's the question that I've meant to ask you over the last five years, and I don't think I ever have. How close did you come to entering the profession of medicine? Ah, yeah. I mean, I'm a little, to be honest, I'm, I get quite queasy around (laughs) the idea of just like blood and bodies and body (laughs) parts and such things. So I was never, I was never that close to pursuing that path, but I, I have an immense appreciation for, for doctors and, you know, just, I've always just been fascinated by it. Here's the thing that I think you have that would have served you, that will serve you well, regardless of what you do. And this is what I think you share on social media so well is you do have that sense of empathy. As you are talking about these big topics and acknowledging that things need to be better, you still keep that sense of empathy. And I think that's why people like and respect your work and connect with you because this isn't about bucks. This isn't about turning over huge things and being in a glossy magazine. This is about making things better because humans are in the mix and human lives are at stake. And that sense of empathy, I think, has carried you very well. And I want to ensure that it doesn't get, now that you've moved into a whole new world, get diluted down. Do you feel like you're going to be able to protect that? Oh, well, thank you for saying that. That means a lot to me. I, I think, you know, as long as my I'm committed to kind of keeping up just the level of, of discourse and just trying to communicate as much as I can, spend time on the phone, just talking to folks and, and hearing their stories. And that isn't going to change. So I, I continue to sort of be, be very open to, to that. And I approach things with just a, a curiosity. And I don't, I don't claim to have all the answers or really kind of any of the answers. I just, I'm just interested in these questions and just want to constantly be talking to people who can kind of share their, their stories stories with me. So that doesn't change. And you know where to find me if if you ever want, if you ever want to chat as in I always enjoy our conversations. One of the questions that you've been asking that I think is right and timely, and I want to flesh out with you a little bit. And when I say that you've been asking the, the way that I access the questions you're asking is through your Twitter feed. And you pose the question frequently around mental health in the United States, mental health access in the United States, provider uh, resources in the United States, and the, the crisis that we have in terms of having enough of them while in juxtaposition, we have a mental health crisis due to the COVID-19 pandemic. How did that topic emerge? Because there are so many parts in healthcare that need improvement. I do feel like, and obviously you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like in some ways you have honed in on that in some way. How, how did that sort of bubble to the surface when you have so many things you could have picked from? Yeah. I mean, I, I think behavioral health is just going to become a more and more important kind of topic. This whole COVID pandemic has just been so hard for people for so many different reasons. You know, a lot of people are alone and just and feeling incredibly lonely. And, you know, on top of that, I just, we already, even before COVID, we were sort of, we had this huge problem of just massive numbers of, of people saying that they have anxiety and, and depression and, and just not enough providers to, to take care of them. So I think technology can offer some solutions. Um, and I don't want to say that it is the solution because you, you can't kind of, there's a lot that needs to still be done in person. I really do believe that. But it, it is, behavioral health is this one area where 
I think it makes sense kind of relative to other specialties. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you don't typically need a physical exam for a for a therapy or, or psychology visit. So, you know, being able to do that over Zoom, I think, you know, presents presents a lot of opportunities to kind of address this like supply and, and demand challenge. But then, you know, obviously there's there's so much to that and figuring out kind of what sorts of patients need a higher level of care and need to sort of be escalated to, you know, a clinician with more training. I think all of those things are, are, are question marks and how much can we use kind of this so, so-called subclinical layer. So, you know, coaches, for instance, to address kind of some of the lower acuity issues, I think is another big question. So all of this stuff is, is being talked about now. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to learn as much as, as possible um, because I, I think this is, you know, COVID has only made this crisis worse. Behavioral health has never had that, at least in my perception, that sort of cachet or, or a- appeal like other facets of medicine have for those who want to step in in the digital health space. Do you think that there is more desire to impact that now that we see the chasm that needs to be filled in in terms of population level behavioral health care in the United States? Yeah, it's um, that's starting to change too. I mean, you're right that that behavioral health didn't get the same focus as some other areas. I mean, we saw a ton, for instance, in, in diabetes and nothing in, in depression for a long time. But now that I think that that's just fundamentally changed. And, and what I'm seeing kind of more this year than I've, than I've ever seen before is, is behavioral health companies. So a lot of entrepreneurs are, are making their way to the space. And you know, many of them are actually drawn from you know tech and, and other fields where you know these were folks who were high high performing executives at their companies and then faced a mental health crisis of their own and struggled. Um, Even even the sort of very wealthy, you know, among us are are unable sometimes to access the care they need in the current system. And so I see a lot of these sorts of people as well who are thinking, you know, what what can I do about this problem Um, and making their way into the space. And I I don't necessarily, you know, as long as they're sort of teaming up with the right clinical experts, I think that that can be a good thing. I think you're right. And I think that we're in a space now where the problem is so vast, so complex and so acute. It really does need a big mixture of people, a huge mixture of resources to try to tackle. I mean, in, in Northern California, since I've been back here since 2016, right, as you know, well, you're, you're, you're just south of me. We've, we've experienced wildfire after wildfire. People still haven't recovered from the Tubbs fire. And so, and we still haven't been able to address all of the impact that that had in terms of people's anxiety and now PTSD and all of these, we still haven't been able to address that. And this is just a small portion of, of the country, but it's a lot of people. It's a huge issue and it will continue to build. And, and I think that that attention being paid is is absolutely critical. In parallel with that, one of the, the sort of narratives that keeps coming up in, in medicine is people wanting to leave medicine, leave the profession of medicine and go do other things for a wide variety of reasons. But again, it's something else that I think COVID has really put some pressure on. Are you seeing or are you feeling more pings from people of like, hey, is there room for me in your show? shop or, Hey, do you know someone that maybe I could talk to? Cause what I'm doing right now, I just can't keep up. Yeah. A lot. Actually, I've been chatting with docs who are close to retirement age who are just feeling like now's the time to just, you know, stop. And, and, and this is maybe five years earlier than they, they intended. But if you're a, if you're a physician in, in your sixties, you yourself are at risk of, of COVID um, and have been kind of exposed to it in a, in a climate where, you know, science for 
most of this pandemic has not been taken as seriously as it as it should have been. And we didn't do enough to protect our medical workers um, with PPE and other things. It's been a it's been a real mess. So there's, you know, certainly that segment. And then I, I talked to, you know, a lot of medical students that are wondering if they want to do residency or just go straight into the business world. And, you know, there's a lot of interest in, in digital health right now. And it's just, you know, on the one hand, like I, I'm very open to these conversations. I want to I want to encourage them to pursue their kind of dreams. But on the other, I, I, I feel very sort of existentially angsty about the level of burnout in medicine. And the way that we are kind of treating our healthcare workers and, you know, why this problem has gotten so bad and, and what we can do to fix it. Do you feel like there's more of a sense of urgency behind those pings now than maybe in 2017 or 2018? Because I imagine you've gotten pings like this just because of your access and your role in the digital health world. Do you feel like they're different? Like, get me out of here. Yeah, definitely. Wow. I mean, we, we've put our physicians on the front lines. We've asked them to put themselves at risk and potentially even their family members at risk during COVID. And at the same time, you know, we've had this massive misinformation problem and they're dealing with patients who won't wear masks and dealing with people on social media kind of reaching out to them and saying terrible things about, you know, just because they are sort of encouraging us to be be safe. So, you know, the situation is is untenable. I think we've asked for far too much and we haven't we haven't given enough back. And I can totally understand why why they feel this way. You know, that's that sense of empathy that you carry. And that's what I think we appreciate about people like you who see what is happening and acknowledge it, not in a ham handed sort of way, but just in a very pragmatic way. And I think you're out, you're also very correct that while we love what we do, there there are things that people have been asked to do and have been exposed to that have been very, very challenging. It's also helpful to just hear your direct perspective because we, you know, these things sort of develop a life of their own and a momentum of their own that everyone's leaving. But to hear you actually say like, yeah, you're getting more pings and those those pings are of a higher level of urgency than they were before. It's pretty striking. Yeah, it is striking. And I, I, you know, there's another level to this too, which is that you're, you know, as a, as a physician, you in the U S have to deal with this, this terrible system of just, you know, struggling to, to manage your patient's finances and, and sort of lack of reimbursement, um, dealing with insurance companies and, and paperwork and just all of this stuff that just interferes with, you know, the thing that you guys were all trained to do. Um, which is which is patient care. So I, 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 go, I feel like I need to go take a walk. <laughs> Freaking uh, me yeah, out. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. I mean, I even did some fun stories, fun, but like kind of sad stories over uh, this past year about physicians fleeing to New Zealand um, during the pandemic just I, to kind of get a break from the system. And I, yeah. I 100% get it. Also, it's New Zealand. So. Right. Right. You know, it's an easy appeal. Sense. It's an easy appeal. Yeah. But what is the, the, the DNA that is needed? What is the sort of backbone? levers to pull because we I think it's also important not that people are leaving the profession of medicine but I do think it's important that the clinical mindset is in that digital space where you are to help make sure that it's going in the right direction asking the right questions doing things for the right reasons what is what does that DNA of someone going into the digital health space look like yeah this this would be a topic for a whole 
other podcast. Okay, um, <laughs> tell me what. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll make it happen. I think it's I you know I'm kind of tackling it for an upcoming newsletter. I think it's uh, I think it's a great question to be asking because there are many different types of um, you know if you if you find your way into to, to digital health, there are many different types of clinical roles even within these companies. So it totally depends. Like, do you want to be a, a product leader or do you want to be involved in operations or leadership or sales or running of a company. And so, you know, depending on what that role is, I think that would require a very different type of kind of DNA or experience. So it's it's a it's a hard one to answer off the cuff, but um, it's something I'm very interested in. So, you know, if you're listening um, and you have some thoughts on it, definitely reach out. I have some thoughts on it, but I think you're right. I think that just acknowledging how many things there are to talk about and that we can't keep you for 90 minutes. I do think we should put a pin in that. And I think we should come back in like Q2 or Q3, because I think also letting a little bit of water get under the bridge, all the things you acknowledge that made the pandemic so difficult. I think a lot of them, we're all hoping now that there's a new administration that they're going to at least start to ease, if not improve, because that question will be reframed as some of that stuff gets different slash better. So I do think though, Q2, Q3, like let's get into it because it's critically important that we also have the right balance. We want people to be involved in that, but we also can't have an exodus of physicians and healthcare professionals. We have to mitigate that too. And that's attention. Exactly. It is It is attention. We definitely need as many kind of trained folks doing the actual work of medicine as possible. But then, you know, there's also a need for, for folks with clinical training who want to also tackle systemic issues and kind of sit on the business side and kind of bring their unique expertise to, to that space, too. So, you know, it's all either way. I think it's I think it's a good thing. And we'll see what what this new administration kind of has to bring. One of the words that's actually come up a couple times in our conversation now is the word that you've used is the the relationships. You mentioned that you're on the phone talking with people, that you're cultivating those relationships. I just want to spend a little bit of time in that dynamic because I think that there's value in it that we understand and can also learn more about. When you think about your relationship building professionally, personally, and the overlap, what does it feel like for you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because as I was sort of in the journalism field, you know, I grappled with this a lot with with this idea of relationship building, because on the one hand, you want to know a lot of people. On the other hand, there's a certain distance that you that you have to keep when you're reporting on on these folks. And and now I'm, I'm sort of feeling much more that I can sort of warmly embrace kind of friendship in the in this space and, and build a, a community that sort of blends uh, professional and personal. So you can move um, a professional detachment really, away a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And just kind of be be more of a of a shoulder to cry on or a you know somebody to talk to um without kind of fear of ever ending up in an article anywhere and that part of it has been has been really refreshing and and quite nice i will i will say that's really interesting so yeah they're no longer on the record or off the record they're just you're off the record because you're not a journalist you're not doing that journalism yeah. work anymore exactly, exactly. interesting it's, it's, cool, it's i mean cool fair game now but i also like the idea though too of of that cultivation idea like you and i have been collaborating intermittently for five years, I've never met you. I mean, I know what you look like because I've seen you on TV and I have your your headshot, but I like this idea of kind of moving through these challenges and having those same touchstones. I think there's real value in it being being in existence, but also being kind of something diverse from different fields and, and kind of obviously that's what inculcates this podcast a great deal. Is that is that a coachable technique? Is that a coachable skill or do you think it's more innate? 
it's it's both I mean I think a lot of I'm kind of an introvert deep down and I kind of had to force myself to be able to sort of pick up the phone and just talk to people and ask them questions but what I learned over time in my journalism role is that like most people do do really want to be helpful and so there's it's always worth asking you know if there's someone that you that you want to have be a mentor in your life or someone that you just you know maybe just have a question you want to spend some time kind of talking through something or having a brainstorming session I think I think it's always worth asking and maybe you'll get the occasional no but most of the time I think people will say yes because we're sort of motivated by an by an instinct to kind of if we if we have a, a base of knowledge about something to to want to share it and that's a really positive thing I think about humanity that I came away from from my my time in, in journalism so then as we're doing that and people want to kind of cultivate that relationship too what are you finding what where are you sharing your work the most for when people want to connect with you how do they find you obviously this is the segue where I really I, I know what you're doing and I love it and I think it's great and I want to make sure people know how to how to access the stuff that you're doing now because the platforms are different you're not you're not with the CNBC platform anymore it is different so we we need to change our bookmarks and update our address books for you yeah so I'm remain on on Twitter I've kind of my presence is kind of largely the same um, I'm at Chrissy far there and you know that's kind of where I tend to live so if you if you want to get in touch uh, reach out to me and then I also have a, a newsletter called second opinion where I'm just writing about kind of health tech digital health type topics so it's free you can subscribe anytime and uh, I promise I won't kind of bombard your your inbox any any more than it has been so um, really trying to add value with that and of course looking for ideas so get in touch if, if you have something in mind we'll have all that good stuff linked in the show notes as well Chrissy it's great to have you back I, I, I love these conversations I love that every time we have them you're doing something totally different and here we are again so thanks for taking the time to come on and, and share all this this good stuff that you're doing and the really pleasant and exciting and challenging way that you're looking at the world because it's helpful. It's really helpful. And this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it and uh, happy to be back. We've always got so much to talk about. My thanks once again to Christina for joining us. This was round five with Christina on Explore the Space podcast. Again, there's a link to her previous appearances on the show. Definitely check those out. Hope you enjoyed hearing her. She's just fantastic. Link also to her Twitter feed in the show notes and to her recent article on her website, Second Opinions, which I think you will really enjoy checking out as well. Thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode of Explore the Space podcast. Learn more about Creighton's executive MBA and executive fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. And thanks also to Vave Health for sponsoring this episode. That's Vave with a V. Don't forget to check out their website for details on their free virtual ultrasound educational events, otherwise known as hashtag Vave Educast. And you can find that at www.vavehealth.com, V-A-V-E health.com. To all of you who have taken some time to listen to this episode, thank you so much. I'd never take it for granted. I know I say that, but I really do mean it. Appreciate you taking some time. Hope you enjoyed listening. Make sure to continue to wear your masks, wash your hands, maintain physical distancing. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.